This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. My name is Erica Hayasaki and I am an independent journalist based in Southern California. Um, and I also teach in the literary journalism program at the University of California, Irvine. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Erica, you are a book author, a journalist, a professor at UCI teaching literary journalism, and you're an author of a new book called Somewhere Sisters, uh, a story about adoption, identity, and the meaning of family. And I had the privilege of reading it recently, and I was moved to tears many, many times, and I'm so glad and honored that you have agreed to come on to the podcast. Oh, I'm incredibly honored to be here, um, and I'm also uh, so happy to hear that you uh, were touched by the book, and you know, I, I, I was also touched by all the stories in the book, and so I hope that was conveyed, and I'm glad that you felt something reading it because that's oftentimes one of the larger goals of the work that I try to do. Can we get into sort of the basic story so we can provide some context for the listeners of the podcast? This is a story that begins with a pair of identical twins who were born in Vietnam. They were separated at birth. One of the twins um, went to an orphanage in Nha Trang and the other went to live with her aunt and um, her aunt's partner. And they grew up uh, with separate lives. Girl who ended up in the orphanage um, was adopted along with another child, Olivia, who's not biologically related. Um, that's where their names now are Isabella and Olivia. They were renamed by um, their adoptive family, a white American family from the Midwest, ended up living and growing up in this town in the Midwest. Meanwhile, the other twin sister, Ha, grew up uh, in her village with her adoptive moms. And the, the, the twins didn't really know much about each other until one day um, the adoptive mom in the U.S., uh, took it upon herself to try to reunite these girls. So that's kind of the narrative, but the story goes into much more um, depth about uh, adoption, transracial and transnational adoption, sort of the history um, of twin studies, which have kind of a complex and dark history. Um, so it, it covers a lot of territory. And also I interview a lot of adoptee experts and engage with some critical scholarship around that um, from history and from many years of adoptee research, adoptee centered research. So, you know, when I 
was introduced to the book uh, through your publisher, um, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was just sort of this going to be a riveting story on discovering, you know, these two different twins. But packed within the storytelling is history, sociology, all of these different tangents of the uh the adoption process, uh, the country of Vietnam, uh, white saviorism. There's so many different themes that 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 come up. How did you find this story? Edwin, in 2016, and um, I've always been a writer, a journalist, uh, kind of following just whatever my interests are, you know, and I had always even before been really interested in um, nature and nurture science and got connected with a researcher who studies twins, you know, had many conversations. I actually wrote about her. I wrote about some of the science and it was through that article that I met lots of different twin pairs and was connected to different twins. But um, I learned about this particular pair of twins. And I, I think I was initially very interested because um, I also grew up, you know, in the in Illinois, um, partly I grew up, uh, until middle school, I lived in Illinois. And I knew how tough it was to be Asian American at that moment in this particular part of the country where I lived. Uh, it was challenging. I had a lot of bullying that happened. And I, you know, I just kind of knew um, or had a feeling that that experience might be similar um, for the adopted uh, um, sisters who were raised in Illinois. I wasn't sure, of course, but then I did end up meeting this family and getting to know them over many years um, or several years. I guess it's been five or almost six now. Um, and that's how I came across this story. But I guess the storytelling part of it, yeah, so it starts, you know, and in a sense, everybody might think that they've heard the story of twins being reunited. Certainly we hear these stories all the time and we see them on TV and they're, they're like popular in movies and whatnot but um, and and I think people might come to this book sort of thinking oh well maybe I know what this is about I've seen this before I've heard this before but um, really it's about so much more <laughs> and that is something that came through in the reporting of course there's the science history but also just the history of adoption and, and what it means um, be adopted uh, from another country, if you're living in the U.S. and growing up in the U.S., or to be adopted transracially. And um, yeah, so I think of like nonfiction storytelling in, in different dimensions. And I think that there's the dimension of people and characters. And I also think that there's the dimension that's social. Um, and that's like, what are the social implications and social conversations that we can have or in a story that's true like this? or that emerge the themes that emerge and then there's the human dimension which are these sort of bigger themes of you know these larger questions we have about ourselves and identity and our place in the world and so i think that this book encompasses a lot because um i often think of storytelling on those kind of those multiple dimensions and, and it shows it shows really well i thought just what you just said about going into the story thinking, you know, it's Phil Donahue or Sally Raphael, you know, or Oprah twins reuniting. But the, I mean, just, I'll just say it, it's horrific. Um, 
it's a horrific uh, portrayal of the things that couldn't that can go wrong in the adoption, the transnational adoption process. Uh, a lot of it is very dark, and um, you really bring those things to light. And things aren't black and white. Things are, yeah. you know, you, you really show the nuances of uh, Vietnam's um, participation in this process and how, you know, in the beginning, not a lot of people are thinking of much, you know, they're just sort of kind of transactional. And but behind it all, eventually you uncover so many different themes. Now, did you set out with uh, themes in mind or did they just kind of come uh, as you're writing? Going into any story, you have this idea that you think you're drawn to. And certainly um, I knew that, uh, you know, I was interested, of course, in Asian American identity. And um, I was, of course, interested in, you know, these ideas of, um, of, you know, what it would mean if you met somebody who has lived, has the same genes as you. Um, and has yet lived an entirely different life, and and um, what does uh, the science sort of tell us about what our genes, how much our genes really matter um, in shaping who we are? So, of course, these are always in the back of my mind. But you know, I have always been trained, um, particularly by some of my narrative journalism mentors, that um, theme when you're doing nonfiction reporting emerges and rises from the reporting mm. that you do and so rather than imposing a theme on a on a project from the start you have to kind of step back and you know what you're interested in and you know why you're drawn to these people and their stories but you also have to really listen to what those where those um, those reporting trails take you and that involves you know diving into the the archives and the research if you're looking at the social context of an issue and so when I talk like about different dimensions of stories you know it's so important to get the people to tell you their stories and they share and they feel comfortable sharing what they want to share with you but then there everybody's story exists within a social dimension um you know how did we get here historically what are what are the forces that are occurring behind the scenes that we are maybe um, just within these systems sometimes that, uh, you know, we don't even see when we're growing up the systems. Um, so it was important to me to look at the systems of adoption and, um, and science as well to think about that. And then the human themes then of course come from the, the feelings and the reporting and the emotions and the experiences that are drawn from all of that. So the oral history, the, you know, archival history, the expert voices, the experiences, what are, you know, what draws it all together. And to me, you know, it felt like there were strong themes of like destiny and fate and, we always are forcing ourselves into it's this or this, it's that, you know, um, there's like this very extreme kind of narrative throughout history of adoption being kind of portrayed as a fairy tale, you know, um, and that doesn't leave room for the experiences that can be hard and painful and traumatic and, 
and be wrapped up in these, um, you know, other uh, decisions that have made been made in history. So, you know, like, how do you navigate this one reality and then think about the reality of the people, the adoptees and what they're telling you about their experiences. Mm-hmm. Same with nature and nurture. It's like, it's genes or it's environment. It's this or it's that. And that's led to some really serious implications um, throughout history. But yet, you know, science also tells us that there's an interplay between these different forces. So, um, so it's just, it was just important to me to explore some of those themes and try to, you know, tie them together with experiences. Because in my experience, you know, life is really complex. (laughs) This is all complex stuff. And I didn't want to oversimplify. So I tried not to. I read the book and the journey of following Keeley, the the white mother. For me, uh, I try not to be so binary about my feelings when I'm reading, but I can't control it sometimes. But so it's a love and then hate, love, hate. It just goes back and forth uh, for me. I kept thinking about the first conversation you had with Keeley uh, when you first started out. I, I just kept being drawn to that question in my mind. I'm like, what is the first thing that Erica would say to Celie as she's starting the journey and this relationship? Well, of course, when I talked to her and actually when I met these young women, they were all, they'd all been through this actually. So what I was doing was reconstructing a lot of it. I did go to Vietnam. I did go with them uh, and I did interviews and I did witness some of the scenes in the book, but um, they were all years out of this. So in, so in narrative journalism, we call that narrative reconstruction, where you kind of rely on interviews and you rely on um, photographs and memories and conversations and uh, videos, whatever you have to reconstruct this particular time period. It really felt like you were with them for like 15 years. And you that's how I felt. I, right. I didn't think about it. I, I just didn't think about you were on the project for five years. But now it all makes sense. It just I felt like you went to this woman when the kids were like, yeah. you know, like one years old. It felt like that. Now, now that's very clear. And that tells you how binary and, you know, my mind is. It's just like, no, no. I mean, that's that's a good that's good for a writer because yes. that's, um, the goal and, you know, there's a whole history of reconstruction okay. in journalism that, you know, um, Hiroshima is something I read by John Hershey when I was very young. I was like 13 and it deeply impacted me and it reconstructed the experiences of these people who survived through um, the atomic bomb in Japan, right? And and so that was, it read, it reads like you're there, yeah. but it's all, it, obviously he was not there, he reconstructed. So that's what influenced me. But yeah, I mean, I met them, um, the sisters were adults um, or almost out of high school when I first met them and then have, are now out of college. So they um, were mostly adults through this whole process. I'm actually, uh, I think, already 18, but still in high school. And then Keely had also been through this process. So they were kind of reliving it. Um, and that was how I, you know, I, my approach was like, I knew this at all. I knew that, I knew that the end point was that the, the twins um, are reunited. So how did we get here? What's the, right. and that requires 
many years of interviewing and like going through these details and also traveling. You know, I went to the orphanage. I went to the the village where I grew up. I um, had a lot of, you know, different ways that I was able to reconstruct these memories um, through various people to, involved. Now, when you're reconstruction, reconstructing these details, and I'm thinking of like these memoirs, like the way memoirs are written, there's sort of a carnal touch to the scenes and there's like uh, very uh, sense driven and, and like smell, touch, audio. And, and you can feel being there as you reconstruct this. But there seems to be like when I read books, uh, this fine line between surreal uh, reconstruction and details that will take you a little bit too far out. But you did a great job balancing sort of the descriptions. Uh, as a journalist or somebody who's writing a novel, a fiction novel, the, the lines are kind of, um, to me, they're, they're very tight because you got to you got to describe things. So if you're using carnal descriptions, we can feel it, we can feel the moment of being there. But at the same time, you're a journalist. So how, how is that balance being kind of like worked out in your mind as you're writing this? I operate by a very strict kind of set of rules around this. I don't embellish. If I don't know that the sky was a certain color in that moment, like I'm not going to write that it was a certain color. Yep. And sometimes the right, you know, that doesn't make the writing as powerful necessarily as fiction or even memoir sometimes. Um, but, um, but every detail that I include has a, a source. Um, and there are moments when, you know, there, the moon is described in the book and that's an image yeah. that becomes really important to particularly to one of the twins who grew up in, um, Vietnam and that's all her memory and she you know you know we spent many hours on the phone talking about her village and her memories of swinging uh, on a swing under the moon and how the moon was like her friend and these beautiful moments of you know and that just takes a lot of time to gather those details but they're all sourced in a sense that she called them or if there's other kinds of details in the piece maybe I witnessed them if I was there or um, like there's a scene with the grandmother of the twins go back to visit their grandmother toward the end of the book and I was there with them for that scene and I talked to their grandmother um, through an interpreter um, she yeah I mean the scene, the scene is very vivid um, you know in some cases scenes are pulled from video footage because there was often video or photos taken. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to report the details and it might feel like fiction sometimes yeah. when you're reading it and that's yeah. the goal, but I would never cross the line to make it fiction because my, that's just sort of my line as a journalist and it's how I've been like trained to not, you know, there's been journals who throughout history have, embellished or you know added a few details to make it um even more like fiction but um i try to stick to the facts as much as possible and that takes a lot of time at work and it's really hard um because of that time that you want to go back and ask you know maybe ask somebody 
can you, you remember you told me about this moment, you know, when this white woman showed up on your porch and was like, I'm going to take you back to America with me. And you're, you know, what, so take me back to that moment. What did you think? What were people wearing? Like, where were you standing? What did you do? You know, and you have to walk them through that again to get all these details. I, I feel so fortunate to do the work that I do right now. Um, it's akin to like being uh, in front of like a, a Martian uh, spacecraft and nobody knows what's under the hood. Nobody can figure out the the um the propulsion system or anything and then the martian shows up and lifts the hood and begins to tell i'm not comparing you to a martian but i'm, I'm saying martian technology alien technology and you lift up the hood and you're explaining to me because i kept thinking about that i'm like well it's sucking me in these details are sucking me in but like how does erica know these yeah. things but they're bringing me in but and i thought like if you didn't write that way it would be so dry yeah you know yeah yeah and that's just like years of training and teaching this stuff i mean i mm. teach this is what we teach in the program where i uh work which is the literary it's called the literary journalism program at uc irvine and students come into that and they you know automatically they're reading required readings are Hiroshima or In Cold Blood or, um, you know, lots of, there's a long history of um, writers who do this kind of work. And then they often try to do that too. And then they realize how hard it can be yeah. when they're doing the long form reporting that you want to, you want to report a story, but you also want to make scenes. And how do you make scenes? You have to, you know, ask the questions that are sensory. Um, and, and really take somebody through their um, cinematic memory again, which is like their episodic memory, which is the memory we have to, to put ourselves back into scenes of our lives. And that doesn't always mean that everything we remember is accurate. So journalists have to like be cognizant of that too. Like we're relying on memories, but if there's moments to cross check memories and there are moments in the book where people had different memories and I had to either write that through or figure out, you know, what was going on there, you know, and, and that's kind of like what we do, which is very different, I think, from maybe in the world of a novelist, which I could never do. I have a lot of friends who write novels and I, I admire them so much, but I don't, I don't feel like I have the imagination because I'm so um, rooted in nonfiction storytelling right. <laughs> for my whole life. <laughs> Yeah. You uh you describe a lot about the twins and Olivia, um, so Isabel, Isabel and Ha, but uh, what can you say without giving too much away about their true differences and their true similarities, uh, having grown apart, grow, growing up apart from each other? Uh, what are the some of the the things that you can just touch on uh, about how different they were and how similar they were? Yeah, see, that's one thing. Much like we have these tropes about adoption in our culture, um, these fairy tale narratives about adoption, there are also fairy tale narratives about twins. And their similarities are often um, the focus of interest. And so, you know, I do have stories in the book of like amazing similarities between like this pair called the Jim Twins and they ended up 
marrying, they were separated at birth and ended up both marrying women with the same name and having their dog with the same name and the kids yeah. and all these things. Right. And we're like, wow, that's amazing. But it's the stories where they're not always actually that similar that don't get as much of attention. Um, and yet the truth is um, these young women are very much individuals. And to me, um, just like with my own twins, I, I know that they are twins. I know they share the same genes. Even with my twins, they've been in the same, even with my twins, they've been in the same, you know, household their whole life, but they're very much individuals. And so that's a, the interesting question there is what makes them different? Like, how did they become different? You know, mm-hmm. they, you know, if they share the same genes and all of this, um, the sisters are, um, obviously different because they were raised in different cultures. Um, they have some similarities with, uh, maybe not always having lots of friends around, like being the most social butterfly in the room or feeling like it takes a while to maybe trust and have friends, which is why I think with the twins, for example, they really, um, it took them a while to connect with each other, but they, but they now are very connected um, and closer to each other than maybe anyone, but I would want them to say that that's what they've said in the past. Um, but, you know, more than anything, I think that they are not the same. And that's what's interesting. And people don't expect that because they kind of think, well, identical twins are the same. Um, but in many ways, I think that they are just their own people. And that's, the result of having um, this environmental impact on the genetics, uh, the yeah. experiences in the genes, and the and also like the random chance that happens in your life, um, and all of these little moments, even down to when there are babies in the womb, for example, you can have different experiences, even if you're sharing the same wow. um, womb, and those little differences can cause. Um, differences in who you become in a sense, slight differences or major differences. Um, and it's like the sum of all those things in a life that shapes who we all are. And for the twins also makes them different. If that makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to tread in some ignorant waters here. Um, and simply because I don't know if I ask this question, uh, I, I hope that you can sort of in your professorial uh role can 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 correct me um and it's a it's i i'm not trying to simplify it i'm i'm just i i want to ask a question that's in my head but i don't know the nuances of the question so here it goes (laughs) no problem (laughs) so when after you finished writing the story and got to know everyone and the twins God, this is, and I don't, I'm not looking for a black and white answer, but do you think that from Ha's point of view, she's more happier uh, with the way that she grew up? Or do you think Isabella, happy is a subjective word, but in in your mind, um, is there any value that that each one of these twins placed on the way that they were, grow, that they grew up? Like, do you think Isabella was like, oh, I wish... I kind of like grew up like ha or did ha go i really love the way i grew up i'm i'm so thankful is there a sort of a mental uh, difference between the two sisters this is represented in the book because we talked about their upbringings um 
there's no doubt both of them grew up. Both of them were adopted. Um, I should make that clear. So neither of them were raised with their um, birth mother, although Han knew her birth mother um, sort of from a distance. Um, she would come and visit because her, she was raised by her, her, her aunt. Sisters, right, for her aunt, her aunt's partner. Um, so they both, it's, they never did not feel loved. They both had families that loved them deeply. And, um, and I think they both describe their upbringings with a level of hardship in some points, you know, for, for each of them for in the book, um, there's the experiences with racial discrimination, which like I said, I'm familiar with being Asian American growing up in the Midwest. Um, I connected with Isabel's experiences on that deeply and how lonely that can feel when you're sort of the only one. Um, Every time she described her life, it was like, it actually did feel kind of like a fairy tale because she Mm, loved her life so much and she loved her, um, her parents who raised her. She loved her village. She never, she told me this many times, she never knew she was like technically would have been considered poor. Like she didn't know what that even meant because she always had food. She, you know, they would fish, they would, you know, there were all, and she was so great at describing her life and, and, and really um, conveying her happiness um, in her life to the point where, yeah, she knew she had a twin, but she never wanted to come to America when she was a kid. She didn't know what that even meant. You know, she she certainly at times thought, who is my sister? But she didn't know anything. She, there was nothing to compare it to, I guess, to compare like um, America or Vietnam, her experiences. Um, she had a beautiful life. And I think there were moments of pain in there too. Both of them experienced bullying in their lives for different reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, has, has parents are part of a same-sex relationship. And I think that was a point of bullying at points. And it would come through in the book for, um, for her, you know, and confusion, right? Um, and also just the fact that she knew that her birth mother didn't raise her. That was a point of pain, you know? So um, meanwhile, Isabella had, you know, a lot of uh, privileges and, and benefits within her family and had a loving family and also had these experiences of feeling lonely sometimes that she talks about. And I try to give them both moments within the book. When you hear from them in the book, it's in third person, but it's all from their interviews. And then sometimes it's in first person. So I bring in just straight oral history where they're just speaking. I just want them to be able to speak and not have the filter of like me trying to get all their interview into, you know, I mean, of course there's hundreds of hours of interviews, so you can't just plop that in a book and call it a book, but you could pull out passages where they're talking about their lives themselves. And I, I definitely tried to do that. Um, so I don't know if that answers. Your yeah, question. It, it, it does. It, it does. Uh, I'm, I'm generalizing, but I feel like perhaps how has, I don't know, a little bit more, a, a deeper appreciation for where she came from perhaps maybe because she wasn't plucked out of her 
kind of environment the way Isabella was, uh, I, and Isabella being plucked out of her environment, put into another place, and knowing that she's adopted could have kind of uh, given her a different perspective on appreciating kind of her growing up. Um, I don't know. It's just I'm generalizing. You mean like culturally? Yeah. 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 Like, and I think that that's not a uncommon story for right. even for me or for immigrants who children of immigrants who grew up in America, for example. Like, you might have this kind of loose connection to the country of your birth parents or grandparents and you feel but there's also this feeling of like sometimes imposter syndrome like yeah. am I enough to represent this part of my culture you know am I enough I was raised here I don't have and so I think that's something that is not unique to although certainly a common thread I'm sure with adoptees and with um, people who are raised in America and whose parents were not born necessarily in the U.S. and maybe you know it's just that feeling of like this is who we are but then we don't always know like I think there's a worry of like you know appropriating your own culture for yeah. example if you're mixed race or um, transracially adopted and you know all these different things so it's complicated yeah very complicated it's uh it's, it was a complicated it was complicated writing it i can imagine because you had to kind of cover a lot of different things in a very short um you know, short space you don't you don't have a whole lot of space to, it was a quick read and uh yeah. there was a lot to cover so you did it i could tell you did a great job just condensing information but allowing it to breathe uh, at the same time um i want to go back to to working with keely um yeah. with the mother uh, because she, I find her to be, um, I find her to be, uh, again, going back to, I really loved her and I really hated her sometimes. And um, how did you come to, to earn her trust without destroying your bond with her? Well, that's a good question. I think that um, she, when I first started reporting the story, you know, I was just listening to the stories of everybody and um, her version of the story has always been this, um, I guess, much more, I don't want to say fantasy-like, but um, this version of the story that didn't have maybe the tougher times um, conveyed. Yeah. Um, the, the sister's were open with me over the years about all these different experiences and feelings. I don't know if they were always connected and having these discussions at home. So, um, so I think toward, well, I, toward the end of the process, it became harder, like much harder um, as we went through like fact checking. So I go through the fact checking to make sure everybody's comfortable with well, particularly with the sisters, I wanted them to know, here's what you said, here's how it's being portrayed in the book. Like they knew what I wrote in their sections um, and were, you know, they never objected in these sessions where we would go through and I would like carefully walk them through because I know that this is hard stuff and I wanted them to be okay. Um, 
uh, Keely was not okay. And, you know, to this day, is, I don't know where she's at to this day at this very moment of this week. But um, that was probably one of the harder parts because I think, and I did say that in the afterward, I think. Yeah, the epilogue, you, yeah. Yeah. I, and that's why I, I, I yeah, I'm not, I was very surprised that that was included, but at the same time, so appreciative of that inclusion of how she felt about it because yeah. um, there's some truth to what she's seeing, but at the same time, sometimes the truth hurts. Yeah, and I I want to hold empathy for everybody yeah. in the story, you know? And um, this is like one interconnected story. All these people are connected, but like, you know, I begin with um, their birth mother, their, then the adoptive mothers, has adoptive mothers in, in Vietnam. And, you know, their perspectives on this will feel no matter what, totally different from yeah. Keely's perspective and each of the sisters is going to have their own. So, you know, I wanted to honor everybody's interpretations of these events, which I know from writing this, just like how we try to kind of oversimplify its nature or its nurture adoption is good or it's bad. Like, you know, like there's a lot of complicated conversations around all of this. And I wanted to like show how there's all these different sides of the story and they're seeing it differently. And a lot of it's often based on like how you grow up and what you see and what maybe blind spots you might have too, or, you know, um, you don't know what you don't know sometimes. And, and then you're in, you're caught within these systems. And so that was important to me to represent the different points of view. And I know that it's very hard and I've talked, you know, to all of them about that. Sometimes it's very hard and painful. And because I've done this for years, it can be painful to read, even if you're writing your own memoir or writing about family, to hold that mirror up is sometimes very hard, you know. Um, and so I think that was that's that's the kind of this is that's what also makes this work incredibly difficult and different from maybe fiction. Yeah, for sure. Now, why would a family agree to this sort of research on their life and this sort of exposure in their life? At the end of the day, it is the story of these sisters coming together and finding this bond is beautiful um, because they love each other so much now and they have this unique bond. And so I think holding that um, as like kind of a beacon through going through the process is probably you know I, I guess that's a good question for all of them like why go through it I know that I have talked individually with the sisters for example and um you know a lot of it was stuff that they hadn't had a chance to express um and in a way I think were expressing parts of their lives that they didn't get to talk about yeah uh, and this was sometimes you know a way to talk to even their family about their lives. Um, so, yeah, but everybody has a different reason. And, you know, I think um, also they just sort of 
knew I was doing this for a long time. <laughs> so I, they, they wouldn't, they weren't surprised when they got a call from me or like, let's talk for a couple hours on a random day. Cause it took a long time. Adoption uh, should never probably be completely outlawed. However, there's so many facets that we don't consider. I think modern Americans, modern global citizens, we, we don't really consider the nuances that you talk about in the book. Is there a description or a way you can describe um, your own way that you think about adoptions, right and wrong, or whether we should, how we should continue the process of adoption transnationally or uh, within our own, you know, United States, within, within the own our own country? What I've learned from this book, from reporting this book, and really, I am not the expert on adoption there are, but I do have an extensive bibliography of people who've been like a reading list of scholars and adoptees who've been doing the work for years and years on these issues. And my conversations and time, you know, getting to know all of their work has led me to understand just how complex this is, how it is a system that has um, a deep history of flaws, right? Um, and, you know, uh, there's trauma in adoption and there's trauma in reunion, but that's not what we learn well, necessarily just kind of growing up and listening right. to popular narratives. Like there's, and, and, and there are many stories of adoption that have happened where, um, that isn't always considered, you know, it's not necessarily known or considered or part of the like whole decision. Um, like that kind of history of adoption of the system and also the kind of pain and trauma and all of these elements that come into play, um, you know, might not be considered during the process of adoption and, and, and maybe that's changing. Um, but, you know, I, I guess at the end of the day, um, this has really helped me understand just what all of these conversations and layers are. And for anybody who's considering adoption, I think it's really important to educate yourself um, because going into it blindly, you know, can be um, harmful. Well, my suggestion to to listeners is even if you're not thinking about adoption, to pick up the book and read it because I think having an em more empathy can produce more kindness to the world as we understand the specific differences in in be just being born um, and not being adopted and just seeing the plight of adopted. Um, humans that are, you know, being moved around the world, just having this experience, like live inside my head now, makes me just more empathetic towards humanity in general, and realizing that everybody truly comes from different places that we sometimes is out of our control, even though you're born in the same, you know, to the same mother, but we, we don't, we can't control where, where our lives are going. Perhaps uh, it's, it's sort of uncontrollable. It feels now, no, no. did you have any stories that you had to leave on the proverbial cutting room floor 
um because you just had to leave out because it didn't follow within the themes or parameters of, of what you were trying to convey i always have more material than i end up getting into whether it's a long-form magazine piece or a book i always end up writing way more and going through painful cutting processes <laughs> um, i think a lot of the research for me ended up getting condensed and that's because you know um and that's why it is important that there is this reading list and bibliography at the end because i think there's a very um deep well of research that people can follow for especially around adoption um and experts who've been working on this so i couldn't get all of that into this book right um and sometimes having too much of it like pulls away from the human stories yeah. too which you know people are drawn in by the human stories and they want to know what happened and so you have to sort of balance these digressions in narrative nonfiction um with like the the, the narrative scenes and emotions and people um so certainly that was um, something that just the research end of it, a lot of it got condensed and simplified in a sense. Um, and then I'm only covering a certain chapter of their lives right. and I'm not getting all the family members. And again, there's already a lot of family members in the book represented, um, but like there's a lot more that are not, and there's a lot more time, even from the time that they are reunited to now that's not a period that's like, I, yeah, I kind of give an update at the end, but you just can't get a whole, you can't get the whole arc of many people's lives plus all the history into one book um, and have it be very readable. <laughs> so, yeah. so I'm, I always end up cutting a lot because I'm also trying to think of the reader and like, you're not doing your reader, um, any favors if you're writing and they're getting really bored and getting lost then the whole message and the whole story gets lost too and then they'll put it down and they don't keep reading it so you have to like always be aware of the reader and it's really hard with this kind of writing because you're dealing with like so many interviews and so many books and so much research that you need to tuck in there yeah i, I was really hoping that at one point i get to hear about the is it three other kids that keely had um, besides Isabella and Olivia? She has uh, another son and then um, three other daughters. Yeah. So yeah. four. For, uh, like from birth. So By four. birth, yeah. The yeah. 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 I always want, I like, while well, I was hoping in one of the chapters that these four kids and their interaction, their thoughts would pop up about Olivia and Isabella because, you know, we could we could kind of see it from the mother's point of view a lot but i wanted to see on the ground floor what these other white kids that were their siblings what they thought of these two that were unique you know and separate from the family but again they they are they 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 sound like they're accepted and loved but at the same time there's got to be some drama between the siblings as they were growing up i mean i think that the siblings um there were moments of them there were small moments of them sort of being protective of their sisters. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, I re sort of yes. bullied and yeah. Um, and there's also the siblings 
you know, Isabel and Ha have siblings in Vietnam. Right. You know. Right. You covered and, a lot of that, and I really appreciated that. Although I didn't really get to tell their stories either, you know, right. and I would think that their stories, you know, could be their own. So that's a big, again, it's like sort of also how much you can get into and who are we following? And with a narrative like this, like there's already a lot of characters. And so it was sort of making choices on who I could include because like all of them are important and interesting and deserve voice in the book. I mean, yeah, maybe there's more books that they can write <laughs> after. Yeah. How, how did this book, the writing of this book change you? This was a very hard project because of all the things that we've talked about. Um, I think it was challenging. You know, we were also in the pandemic for part of it, um, like trying to be a mother and writing this book that was very emotional. Um, it opened my eyes to some of the experiences that I kind of shared with maybe Isabella, for example, mm -hmm. and gave me... Um, the freedom to start to think about different ways that I could also write about identity, um, maybe in my own life or, or identity issues that I've experienced, um, you know, probably because of the, all the conversations I had uh, with her and with them. So I think, um, you know, I, I'm still, I mean, the, it's, it's, a, it's just coming out, so I don't even know how the book will be received or if it will be received. <laughs> I don't know at this point, I'm glad that you read it and, you know, had, um, and had things to say about it, but, um, it was, it was, it took a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of emotions from everybody, from everybody, including myself, but everybody I interviewed. And sometimes I'm just carrying their emotions around in me. Yeah. And that's like one of the hard parts, um, like I, uh, like I said, I want to hold empathy for everybody in the story and recognize that everybody has a different perspective in the story and like they see the same story differently. And sometimes like them talking to me is also a risk um, because they, you know, maybe haven't talked to these things, talked about these things with people that they're very close with. And then they have, now their stories are out there, you know, and all of these things are things I talked about with them, but you know, it's a, it's a huge responsibility. And it's also, um, you know, so it weighs on you because you carry the stories of the people that you spend time with uh, inside of you like forever. Cause they're real people, you know. Yeah, and that's a lot of weight to carry. You know, I have that one of my questions that I prepared uh, is that, is that um, I, I'm not comparing, you know, a homicide detective going to the scene of the crimes, you know, in their lifetime. But that kind of weight is bearing down on a writer like yourself that you're going into not the crime scene, but sort of like the, these places of heavy heaviness and burden. It's impossible to be uh, scot-free or not touched by a lot of the pain and the suffering. And then to be really just somebody who's like an observer, but a participant in the observation is a big job. It's a heavy job. And do you, yeah. you know, how, what's your outlet? How do you kind of like blow off the steam? 
How do you unburden yourself with, with that? That's a good question. I mean, therapy. So I've talked about this in therapy because I've held these stories. And, you know, I've, this is not like I've written stories that are hard through my life. That's like, unfortunately, I've written a lot of stories about real life people going through things that are hard or complex, you know, um, horrific, all of these things, all of the above. And I think that journalists sometimes um, take on some of this trauma. Certainly my first yeah. book that I ever wrote around some of this too, trauma and reporting on trauma. Um, and yeah, I have to believe that there's some larger reason that I do this, <laughs> that, that there's some reason that these stories, I do believe that these stories are important. I believe that there's power in telling your story and um, there's a responsibility for somebody like me to tell somebody's story and to give some, like like the sisters, to give them some agency in their storytelling. So that's why I didn't want them to be surprised by what, you know, I said it, or they said to me that ends up in the book, like it's like they know. Um, but at the same time, it's also scary for them. And so I'm just trying to, you know, do all this ethically and, and yeah. with some high purpose. And hopefully people um, will understand that, like at the end of the day that I conveyed a story that was incredibly complex, painful and beautiful and all of that. And maybe you came into it thinking you have heard a story about twins being reunited, but maybe you haven't heard all of these other parts of what that means. Um, and that's, I guess, the best I can do. I guess one of my writing mentors told me that all you can do is like part the curtain on humanity and let people kind of take that with them. Well, I, I can tell you how I related directly with this story because I'm sort of like, sometimes I don't feel 100% Vietnamese and sometimes I don't feel American. Sometimes I feel neither. And I can relate to my two identities through Isabella and Ha, right? So part of my brain... Yeah functions as an old country Vietnamese man. Sometimes it functions as a modern American man who's born and raised in the US. So I can, I could see, so the book is really for me, for, you know, it, it touched me on a personal level because now I can sort of like jump from identity to identity and see how the process is, is sort of unfolding between, you know, I mean, I, it's almost like these two people, I mean, I'm simplifying again, but these two people are one person and I'm getting to see both sides of me because of the growth and the development. So I related very uh, closely to um, the two sides, sisters and the two stories, because I live in both worlds constantly and I'm torn. My own identity is torn uh, as a result of, of my parents having me in the United States. So it relates very well yeah. for somebody like me. I found those connections with everybody too you know, in different ways, whether it's like being a mom, trying to do the best you can, you can. Yeah. like, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of judgment with being a mother and like on all the mothers in the book. Cause there's like lots of mothers, <laughs> several different mothers in the book. Right. And like, you know, it's one thing to come in and make a judgment on any of them, but, um, but I can absolutely r relate to the feeling of just trying to do the best with what you can yeah, and what you know and what you have and you know like doesn't ever mean you don't love them 
it's just like you know you know none of us are perfect right and then of course with the sisters there are so many levels that I identified with around identity and um embrace and immigration parents and also just this idea of the the that like a lot of times our families come to have historically come to America for that better life idea right or for these dreams um but like exploring that idea of like um what if that didn't happen does that mean that that anything would have been not better (laughs) you know or maybe you know you just don't know um but there's these questions that are always lingering of like what you lose when you um immigrate right to a a different country um or if you raise your children in america but you were born in uh vietnam or whatever that might be like um you know there's there's certain aspects to our own cultural identity my own too that i feel i've you know i've lost right language maybe or different things and so it's it's tricky and it and again, it's not black or white. It's just like the reality of what we kind of grapple with. And yeah, they all represent a different part of that in their stories. Once again, um, Somewhere Sisters, uh, when will it be available? Um, October 11th, I believe, is when it will be released. So um, should be available in stores and everywhere then. I really encourage all our listeners to pick up a copy of the book and spend some time with it and um, get some tissue out because there's a lot of moving, really moving parts that, uh, you know, I mean, I'm just going to say when Ha kept trying and kept trying and kept trying and she finally got the clearance for the visa, I cried. I like sat in my van and I cried about that. I I just was so moved because um, it's like the fulcrum, the the tipping, that tipping point of like your life is about to change so so much, and and that was one of the big moments for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think about that section, and you know, I tell it just the way she tells me. So honestly, that's how she tells the story. And she's so good at it, you know, just recounting how the whole thing went step by step. And also the, the part that always gets me is when she leaves her her mom's in uh, Vietnam, the, oh. when she says goodbye. Heartbreaking you know, where and, she, and, yeah, can't yeah. do with the, the crying. Yeah, that part is, is really intense. Um, I think every time I even think about it, you know, and there's so many parts that's why this is hard this is a hard story to to report because there's like these all these kind of jumble of emotions that happens with these real life events yeah yeah well erica thank you so much for spending the time today um i am so grateful that you wrote the book and and have spent the time to to talk about it with me thank you so much for having me and for reading and engaging with this story Um, I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. 
You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts.